0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hi everyone. Hello. <laughs> I'm Andy. It's uh, great to be here this afternoon with you. Um, particularly big welcome if you're visiting. Um, I hope you feel welcomed. Have you ever felt like an outsider? I hope if you're visiting, you didn't feel like an outsider. Have you ever felt like an outsider? You were somewhere where you felt like you didn't belong. Um, One of those situations where you walk in a room and everyone stops talking and just kind of looks at you. You felt out of place. Uh, I felt this a few years ago. My wife and I were were backpacking around Europe and uh, we spent a week in Paris at a hostel there, and I didn't speak any French, really, and so uh, it was, I felt on the out straight away. But I did learn a helpful word that I use a lot, which is the... Meant, sorry, pardon. Pardon. I said that a lot. Uh, catching the train with my big backpack, knocking people over. Pardon. Pardon. Um, and we went to the supermarket and uh, bought a bunch of groceries and fruit and veg and other things and took it to the to the checkout... And um, the lady was beep beep scanning things, and then got to the fruit and the veg, and she pointed and said something. I don't, I'm not sure what. She asked a question, uh, and then pointed at the back of the supermarket. I'm um, like, pardon. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> and she was like, and took, got the bags of fruit and veg, and. Went up to the back of the shop, and you had to scan them. There was like a weight thing; you had to scan them, and then do a code or something, and then it printed out a sticker and stick it on the. And then she brought it back, and everyone was queuing behind me. It was like, oh. and I was like, oh, pardon. <laughs> so, uh, I'm just Australian, um, but yeah, I felt out of place, out of like everyone just grumpy, and I didn't know where I was going. Kept getting lost. Uh, didn't know, you know, out of place. And imagine, though, if you felt that way, you know, I could handle that for a week, but imagine if you felt like that with your whole life with God. Imagine if you felt, you went through your whole life feeling like an outsider with God, and imagine if it was true. Imagine if you were an outsider. You were separated from Him, and you couldn't have a relationship with God, and there was nothing you could do, in fact. You just That was just the way it was. We've got a sign uh, out the front, and... Um, you might have seen it as you walked in. It says, welcome. Uh, imagine if only certain people could come to God. So we got this welcome sign. But imagine if we changed it and it just said, go away. Uh, and so we had a go away sign at the front. And uh, not everyone's welcome at salt. You've got to be a certain type of person to come to God. And that's just the way it is, Or is. That'd be really weird. That'd be really sad, in fact. That'd be devastating. Devastating. For those people who, like it's good we've got big windows at least, they can kind of, you know, for an hour and a half look through what we're doing and then come back every Sunday, but that'd be be awful, wouldn't it? Especially if you're one of the people stuck out there and you couldn't actually... You may not know this, but for a lot of history, only certain people could come to God. That was true. It was kind of like a bit of a go-away sign. Most people were excluded from a relationship with God. The Israelites, they were God's chosen people. And anyone who wasn't Jewish could only really look in from a distance. Never really part of the in. Uh, so they had the, the name for this group of people, the Gentiles. The Jews were God's people. The Gentiles was everyone else. And most of us here, I assume, are Gentiles, not Jewish. And so if we lived during the time of the Old Testament... Uh, we could not have been one of God's people. So if you went to the temple, uh, you could go as a Gentile, you could go to the outside court. There's an outside court area where you could go and worship God. But you couldn't go through the next door into the Jewish area. Other Jewish friends were walking past in there, but you had to stay on the outside. There was a separation there, you'd be excluded. The God of the Old Testament was the God of the Jews. Israel, though, were to be a light to the other nations. That was their responsibility, to be a light to the other nations, pointing the other nations, the Gentiles, to God. Uh, even if they couldn't become one of God's people, we could still Gentiles could still worship God, but from a distance. But there was a promise, though. There was a promise that this one day would change. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, you, you get you get a kind of hint of this. Uh, This is the passage where uh, God calls Abram, Abraham, out and um, makes him a nation. That your family is going to become famous and big and this is the passage. We get a hint of it though. I'll make you into a great nation, Abraham, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham. That's the promise. One day. So Gentiles couldn't, be fully, couldn't fully be one of God's people, but one day God will make a way for other nations to come to him, to be included somehow. And we see in this passage that's starting to happen. We see that starting to happen and how it takes place with Jesus. And it all starts with someone scabbing leftovers from God's banquet. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll jump into that passage. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you speak to us, that we can know you. Thank you that you are not far from us, that through Jesus we can know you. We pray that as we look at this passage, that you'd be speaking to us by your word, and that your spirit uh, would be at work, um, and uh, yeah, help us to, to love you more. Amen. Well, we have been working our way through Matthew's gospel, uh, the eyewitness account of Jesus' life, one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, and uh, Jesus has been teaching around Israel, he's been teaching about what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom, he's healed a bunch of people, Uh, a number of times he's got into conflict with religious leaders, and uh, at this passage, Jesus does something unusual, he often does something unusual, but this is the first time he does this, have a look at verse 21 of chapter 15, if you Have a Bible, open up. Big 15, little 21, verse 21. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's a bit strange. He actually leaves Galilee. He's never done that before. He he leaves the Jewish region and he travels north for a week or so across the border towards what is now uh, Lebanon, Tyre and Sidon. So we got a little map here. So Jesus spent most of his time in that area in Galilee and below. Um, but he's, he leaves that. He heads over the border up into Phoenicia or the area of Tyre and Sidon. Um, we're not told why. Now, perhaps to escape the large crowds in Israel that are following him around. Uh, perhaps he needs a bit of a quick holidays, being non-stop work for him. But the region he's, he's heading into... Uh, his, it 's historically the area of Israel, the Israelite enemies. Uh, they were the Canaanites they worshiped false gods. You can read about them in the old testament they 're often the bad guys in the stories. they worship false gods like Baal and other gods, and they are often are drawing god 's people away from god and uh, all through the old testament you can you can read about that and they 're causing trouble for god 's people and so most Jewish people grew up to detest Canaanites, But that's where he goes. He goes into that area. And the people there hear that he's there, hear what he's on about, hear what he's doing, and they start following him, Uh, including a Gentile woman who cries out for Jesus to heal her daughter. Verse 22, we can read that. It says, The Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. But he ignores her. He ignores her cries. Jesus is perhaps trying to teach his disciples, and you know, people are calling out, or they're walking through crowds, and there's lots of people shouting out. Uh, we're not sure exactly what's going on. But she keeps on calling out. She's persistent. And the disciples ask Jesus to send her away. She's so annoying. Verse 24, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus says this, to his, this says to his disciples, don't you know I was sent for the Jews? Don't you remember? Don't you remember even just a few months back, I sent you disciples out to preach and I said to only go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's because I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That's his priority. Jesus' priority is the Jewish people. After all, he's the Jewish king. He's the promised Messiah. Which is actually the name that the woman uses to call after Jesus. She calls Lord, son of David. She's referring to Jesus as the Messiah, which is pretty incredible for a Canaanite. And she won't even take no for an answer. She won't take no for an answer. She then comes and pleads at Jesus' feet. Lord, help me, she begs. She's obviously desperate. Her daughter is demon-possessed, suffering terribly, and so she comes to Jesus for help. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? We've got a Canaanite here approaching a Jew. Canaanites detested by Jews on the whole. And more than that, a Canaanite woman approaching a man. People of the opposite genders didn't interact like this, except if they were family. But more than that, Jesus is a teacher, a rabbi. So what's going to happen? Well, we get this really weird exchange between Jesus and this, this woman. You can read about it. Verse 26, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What's going on here? Is Jesus calling her a dog? Seems a bit weird. Seems wrong, doesn't it? Uh, back then, dog was a derogatory word. In actual, it's still a derogatory word, isn't it? No one likes to be called a dog. Uh, but it particularly was a common derogatory word for a Gentile at the time. And not a cute dog either, not a cute little pet, but a, a, like a mongrel, like a mongrel, mangy old street dog. <laughs> we don't have many street dogs in Wollongong, but imagine a street dog. You going to like shoo them out and they, they're pests and they stink. That was what the, the Jews would call the Canaanites. But he's not using, he doesn't use that word. He uses, the, the Greek word that he uses is actually the word for a domestic, a small domestic dog, a house dog, like a pet. A pet. And in fact, he's not even calling her a dog. Uh, he's using a parable, uh, an illustration here to explain an idea. Something really, to be honest, that's pretty obvious, I think. He, I don't feel like he doesn't really have to explain it. He's saying, you don't feed your pet before you feed your family. I don't know, is that, an, is that a new thing? I feel like that, everyone knows that. That's what you do. You've, you don't feed your pets first, you feed your family first, then you feed your pets after. We've got a dog. Uh, we've had a dog for maybe two years now. Her name is Pixie. There's Pixie with my wife. And uh, a lot of good things about dogs. Uh, you, can, uh, you can talk to people and they don't, they're not weirded out by it. And you just talk to strangers with a dog and people are happy to chat. Uh, you can throw a ball and you don't have to get it yourself. Uh, <laughs> you can, um, I don't know, what else? there's not much else, is there? But there's, there's. Now few... <laughs> nah, we like Pixie; she's good. Um, but here's the best thing about having a dog: uh, you can give your dog your leftovers. That's the best thing about having a dog. Uh, in fact, we don't even have to vacuum half the time because Pixie just. Uh, you know just vacuums off the food that 's i got you know, my two of my younger kids, and they just drop food all over the place and we just <whistles> pixie comes in and just eats it up uh, so that 's the the best thing about having a dog you don 't need to vacuum um, what we don 't do though so this is a bit of advice for you when you if you have ever have kids uh, feed your kids first, then your dog all right. Don't the other way around is wrong, okay? Don't feed your dog and then whatever the dog doesn't eat, you're like, here, kids, <laughs> and then you know scrape it into the kids' bowl. That's that is wrong, okay? Don't be crazy. Don't do that. Uh, you feed your kids first, and then whatever they don't eat, you give to your dogs. That's what Jesus is saying. It's pretty obvious. I think we're all on the same page there. That's you know, there's a priority in the family. There's a priority. Uh, kids, primary responsibility. Animals, second. There's a priority in Jesus' mission. There's a priority in his mission. He's come first for the Jews. That's the main reason he's here. And so he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus, That's what Jesus says. And the woman understands the metaphor. She understands what he's saying. And she very, very cleverly takes it a step further. Yes, it is, she says. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table she knows something about pets she might have a pet dog herself and this is what her dog does the you know food drops on the floor and the dog eats it up and the pet still gets fed there's enough to go around yes you don't feed the pet first but the pet still doesn't go hungry which is what the woman's saying She doesn't argue. She doesn't try and argue with Jesus about, oh, but this verse says this. She, She knows, in fact, that she's not entitled to what she's asking for. Her point is that surely there's enough leftovers for what Jesus is doing to also give Gentiles like herself something as well. And she's spot on, in fact. Jesus sees that. It shows her faith is incredible. And he marvels. At how much faith she's showing showing, and how, how much understanding she has of who he is. And perhaps she's heard some of the Old Testament promises, we're not sure. Perhaps she's heard of the compassion of the God of the Old Testament and she thinks maybe, you know, surely there's enough to go around. Whatever it is, she needs help and she comes to Jesus in faith. And Jesus marvels at how much faith she has. Of all the people, to understand who Jesus is, no one would have expected this Canaanite woman to get it, to, to understand. We get a similar thing a few chapters earlier, Matthew chapter 8. We have a, a Gentile centurion, a Roman centurion, who his servant is death, deathly ill. And uh, he comes to Jesus in faith. And Jesus, likewise, similar thing, is amazed at how much faith this Gentile centurion has. It happens a number of times throughout the New Testament and the Old, in fact, It's the people you don't think are going to get it that actually get it. And those who should get it, those who should understand who Jesus is, often are not the ones who don't get it. Uh, So it's no coincidence the passage before this passage, the one we looked at last week, has the Jewish religious leaders. And they're talking to Jesus and they reject Jesus. They, They don't bow down. They don't fall at his feet and say, Lord, son of David, to him. They're caught up on why Jesus doesn't wash his hands. They don't, they don't get it. They don't get it. And Jesus says, they're the ones who are unclean because their hearts are rotten. Total contrast to the Gentile woman who by all external measures is unclean, a Canaanite. And yet Jesus declares her to have more faith than those other guys. The, the, their whole job is to read the Bible. They don't get it, but she does. And he heals her daughter because of her great faith, as she's asked. Even though Jesus has come first for the Jews, his compassion overflows to those around him, onto this woman as well, and he heals her. Jesus is generously loving, generously compassionate, and his love overflows to those around him. There's plenty of leftovers for everyone. Uh, I had a friend who used to go dumpster diving, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, dumpster diving. Um, do you know who I'm talking about? No. No, okay. <laughs> you, it's not you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, her name's Maddie. Uh, she used to come to Salt. Um, she'd go dumpster diving. don't know what that is. Like is. She'd go up to Woolies and the, the big skip bins out behind Woolies and she'd go after they've closed and get all the food out of the bin, pretty much. Uh, she and some mates would go do that a couple of times a week, uh, and they'd work out which shops had through the bins the, threw the food out on certain which nights of the week, and they'd go and and um, so they'd go they yeah, they'd go through and close uh, like um find any Woolies would find any food that's close to expiry and um, chuck it out. And here's some of her photos from her Instagram, um, like bottled water. I don't know. And yogurt, though. I think, I think, like, yogurt's a bit risky to eat out of the bin. But <laughs> that's what she'd do. And she didn't actually buy groceries for, like, a, over a year. Um, and for her, she was a student, so it was partly to save money. Uh, but it's partly as well because she's a Christian and she wanted to care for the environment. Because I didn't know this, but um, one third of food produced in the world is thrown out. One third of the world's produ- world's food is wasted. And the UN, I looked it up, she said this and I looked it up, as true. And the UN says that nearly half of all fruit and veg produced is wasted throughout the world. That's crazy. And half of it, like well, for us, a lot of it's chucked into the bin and it's still okay. And so, actually I was going through, <laughs> some of you might appreciate this, um, these photos are from seven, eight years ago. And I was last night going through to get them, to put them on this, and I accidentally liked them on Instagram. <laughs> I haven't seen her for five years. And she got this notification, Andy Hobbs liked one of your photos from seven years ago. Oops. Anyway. It's a bit awkward. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, where was I? Uh, So all this food, all this food, just so much of it from Woolies and stuff just goes into the bin. And, you know, talking, he couldn't believe how much was in there, how much just gets chucked out, how much leftovers these shops have. Woolies and Coles, they're literally overflowing with food. It just, they just got to chuck it out. They've got too much of it. And God is overflowing with love. Overflowing with love. God's love for his people overflows to all the nations. There's leftovers, enough for everyone. You get that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God has lavished his love on us. That word lavish, it's like generously poured out. Poured out, overflowing, like a cup running over generous. Jesus' love is generous and overflowing. He shows great compassion to the Gentile woman. He doesn't treat her as she deserves, but he lifts her up and treats her like a child of God. She was desperate, but she turned to Jesus and her faith was rewarded. Jesus helped her see that she was not entitled to salvation. She was not entitled to what she was asking, Which is like all of us, right? None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve forgiveness. And yet Jesus does help those who turn to him. He forgives those who come to him in faith. So where do you turn in times of need? Where do you turn when things are hard, when things are really hard, in those moments of desperation, when you have real need? What do you do? Because she's a great, this lady's a great example for us. She calls on the name of Jesus. She comes to him, declaring who he is, begs him for help. And Jesus has compassion on her and gives her what she needs. Oh, I'm too quick. I'm too quick to look elsewhere. I often forget to come to Jesus. I try and fix it myself or ask for others for help or just kind of dwell on it. And, but come to Jesus, turn to him. His compassion is overflowing, especially those of us who don't yet follow Jesus. He loves you. He wants you to come to him, to ask him for help. His compassion and his love overflows to you as well. Just like the Canaanite woman, you can be saved. Even if you're a Gentile. Salvation is for the Jews first, but it can't stop there. It doesn't stop there. We've seen that Jesus shows mercy to this Canaanite woman. But maybe it was just a one-off. Maybe, it was, maybe there was something unique about her, and it's not all people. Well, Matthew includes the next bit to show that there's plenty of leftovers for everyone. Not just her. There's plenty of leftovers for everyone. And Jesus has compassion on a whole crowd of Gentiles. Have a look at the next bit. Verse 29. Uh, Jesus left there and went along to the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. So after this encounter with the lady, the Canaanite woman, Uh, Jesus travels south, back down towards the Sea of Galilee. So you can see he's traveled up and then he's traveling back down, uh, most likely to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. That's called the Decapolis, uh, which is still Gentile, mostly Gentile territory. And um, more Gentiles come to him and he heals them, over 4,000. And for three days he's healing people. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for nurses who do 12-hour shifts. Uh, Jesus does a 72-hour shift, uh, which is... Uh, he might have had little power naps, I don't know, but you know, still, that's a long time. Uh, didn't turn out if, if he was wanting a holiday, it wasn't really a holiday. But he gets a whole... There's a massive crowd, at least 4,000 people. They see what Jesus does. They He heals them. He heals the crippled. Uh, the mute, mute can speak the lame could walk, the blind are able to see. He heals them all for three days. And they see what Jesus has done, and they praise God. In fact, it says they praise the God of Israel, which is an unusual phrase. You don't get that much in the Bible, the God of Israel. Uh, The crowd of Gentiles are now praising the God of the Jews, not, not their normal gods that they would follow. Even though these Gentiles, they, they would have had their own gods, they would have woken up this morning, that morning, worshipping Baal or whatever it is, and other gods, that, those other kind of gods that draw had been drawing Israel away from Yahweh. But now they've seen what Jesus does and they praise the God of Israel. They turn, they stop following their other gods and they praise the true God. And Jesus is with them for three days, doing all this. He doesn't resent them though, instead he sees their need, he sees what, they, what they, really what they need and he has compassion on them, uh, even, even though they're Gentiles. We see that in verse 32. Jesus called his disciples and to him and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. He has compassion on these people. He sees they need food. He wants to provide for them. Presumably it's a fair travel back for them and they're already starving by now. He doesn't want them to faint on the way, so he wants to provide. How good? How good is Jesus? He's so thoughtful and so kind. Uh, I don't know what you're like after three days of no sleep. Probably not very nice. (laughs) I'm not very nice, to be honest. Uh, Even just, I don't know, six hours sleep last night. Like, I lost an hour of sleep. Oh, that savings um so you know feeling a bit snappy feeling a bit you know easy to a bit on edge a little bit that's not jesus even though he's tired he's not he's loving he continues to be loving he's full of mercy full of compassion full of love so he tells his disciples he wants to feed this crowd and we get this funny exchange this, verse 33 his disciples answered where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd which is, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that Jesus feed, fed 5,000 people. So does everyone get deja vu reading this? You're like, is this a different story? It wasn't, you know, he just fed 5,000 people previously, probably only a few months before this with some kids' recess. Have the have the disciples forgotten so quickly? Surely not. I think they would have definitely have remembered Jesus feeding God's people in the wilderness, just like God's people were fed with Moses in in the wilderness a few thousand years earlier, they would have got that parallel. They would have understood that Jesus is making a statement about. But perhaps that's the thing: the disciples understood the significance of what Jesus was saying. Jesus wouldn't do that with these people. These are Gentiles. He's not going to feed them in that same way. They're not Israelites. So I'm guessing the disciples didn't doubt that Jesus could feed the crowd. I think the disciples didn't think Jesus would want to feed these people in that, same, in that same way, making that same sort of statement. And yet, as he says, he has compassion on these people too. So that's what he does. Similar to last time, verse 34. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven. They replied, I don't know how they said it. Seven. Uh, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. He then took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate. They all passed around the seven loaves, and each had a tiny nibble. And magically four thousand people. No. They all ate and were satisfied. And afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls baskets full of broken pieces that were left over the number of those who ate was 4,000 men plus women and children so Jesus takes the seven loaves of bread and some fish and he feeds over 4,000 people he multiplies the food miraculously and everyone is full they haven't eaten for three days remember so pretty hungry I did the 40-hour famine when I was a kid and I had so much to eat after 40 hours, uh, this is after 72 hours, they had some serious intermittent fasting and they're pretty heavy, pretty, pretty hungry, I reckon, and they're satisfied. They have enough, there's enough to go around. In fact, there's plenty to go around, so much so that there's seven basketfuls left over. There's overflowing with food, there's plenty of leftover. His compassion for the people is overflowing. Jesus is not stingy in the way he provides for those that he cares for. When he does something, he does it properly. And his compassion wasn't limited to just feeding Israelites. He's now feeding Gentiles. His compassion is not limited to just Israel, it extends all around the world, even all the way to Wollongong. He has compassion on us to the Jews first, but also to the other nations. Uh, you get that, you get, you get uh, kind of the, this idea Jesus talks about in Acts chapter 1. Uh, After Jesus' death and resurrection, he appears to his disciples and he tells them to spread the good news of of his mercy and salvation and says this, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells them to start in Jerusalem, but don't stop there. It spreads out. Spread the good news outwards across the whole world which is what would happen. You read the book of Acts, that's what happens. The gospel ends up going to all the nations, to all these different nations. Thousands of Gentiles start following Jesus. And the disciples are amazed. It's like they didn't think this was going to happen. But It's like they forgot Jesus did all this stuff that we're reading about in Matthew. But that's what happens. Who knew God's mission would extend past the Jews out to the whole world? Well, that's what Jesus had been saying. So I don't think Jesus came... To modern day Lebanon for a holiday. I think he came to this area to pursue this Canaanite woman, to show that one day Gentiles would be able to come to him and be saved, to feed 4,000 plus Gentiles, to show that he has compassion on not just the Jews, but to all the nations. It becomes clear that Jesus has brought salvation to all people, regardless of race, regardless of background. So anyone can come to God now and be part of his family because of Jesus. In fact, through Jesus, we're not just saved, but we're actually made one of God's children. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. This is a, an incredible passage. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Children of God. For all of you are baptized into Christ, so for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, nor there is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Incredible. An incredible promise here. That through Jesus, we become children of God. If you have faith in Jesus, you become part of God's family. One of his sons, one of his daughters. So it's no longer about your race or your identity or your gender or your social status. It's about whether you come to Jesus in faith. That's what's important. So your race, your gender... Social status, that's no longer, as a Christian, that's no longer your primary identity anymore. Your primary identity is that you're a child of God. You're in Christ. We all become, in fact, one of Abraham's descendants. So if you're a Gentile, if you're a Gentile here tonight, non-Jewish person who trusts Jesus, you effectively become an Israelite. You become Jewish. You become part of God's family. Become one of the heirs of Abraham. No longer on the outside, looking in from a distance, but brought into the family, not as a friend or as a cousin or one of those kind of friends that just hangs around eating all your food. Not one of those people actually adopted in as a child of God into the family. And a child, not just an adopted child that's kind of kept to the side, but an adopted child who's now part of the family, so much so that they receive an equal inheritance from the father a child who is fully entitled to the promises that God has made to his people in the Old Testament. So if you're a Christian, you can read the Old Testament knowing that those promises are for us because we are now part of God's people. And we can look forward, we can read the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus. It's not just a Jewish book anymore, it's a Christian book. We are heirs according to the promise. What incredible mercy and what incredible compassion that were being shown in Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter, the Galatians, to a church full of Gentiles who had been saved by Jesus. And as the letter was passed around between churches and read out, uh, I love the idea of this Canaanite woman sitting in a church somewhere, years later, still trusting Jesus, hearing this letter, Galatians chapter 3, read out, and the thing that it's, it's saying affirms the thing that she's already experienced from Jesus. That through her faith, she's now a child of God. She's no longer a pet sitting under the table waiting for scraps. She's now lifted up to sit as a child at the banquet, as a child of God, a full member of God's household, just like us, if you're in Jesus. It's incredible. It really is incredible. Two things, though, we see from it. Two things we see. We see, firstly, that salvation in Jesus is now inclusive. It includes anyone. Anyone can come to Jesus and be saved. Regardless of race, regardless of gender, family background, income, history, no matter what you've done or haven't done, you can come to Jesus. doesn't matter what gods you used to worship, Anyone can come to Jesus and be saved. Everyone is invited to God's banquet. Salvation is inclusive, it's it's there for anyone. But salvation in Jesus is also exclusive. Anyone can come to God's banquet, but you can only get in through Jesus. You're only saved by faith in Jesus. There's no other way that we can be saved. God's kingdom is inclusive, it's for everyone but it's exclusive. It's only through faith in Jesus that we're saved. Now you get this idea in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. It's inclusive. Everyone who believes though, it's exclusive. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, inclusive, everyone. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So it's exclusive, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. The invitation is there, anyone can come to Jesus, but only those who come to Jesus will be saved. So do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? Do you live like it's true? Do you believe that God can save anyone? There's 3,000 people, 300,000 people in our city, and most of them are not saved. Most of them're not saved by Jesus. Any of them could be saved by Jesus. The offer is there, but they need to come to him in faith to be saved, need to turn to him. But the first step is us realizing that these people need to be saved. I look out my window at my neighbors, not like a creep, but like you know, hello, um, and they look happy. they're mowing the lawn this afternoon. They look like they've got a good life. And I I need to remind myself, it doesn't look like they need saving. They're just, you know, going through life, things are good. Seems okay. I got friends in Wollongong, same thing. I need to remember, I need to see things Jesus the way Jesus sees them. Jesus wants to save all people. And I'm a bit like the disciples sometimes. I kind of think, oh, not those people. Are you sure? But when Jesus looks at my neighbors, when Jesus looks at your friends who don't know Jesus, your family, my family, he's full of compassion. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. Because it may not look like it from the outside, but what Jesus sees is they're lost. They need him. They need Jesus. So I need to stop acting like a gatekeeper for who I think needs to come to Jesus and who doesn't. So let's not be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. That's what our church is on about. We're praying for a flood of lifelong disciples of Jesus across the Illawarra and beyond. We've been praying that for a long time and we're going to keep praying it. But by God's grace, he's answering that prayer. He answers that prayer and we've seen people Come to him and be saved. Let's keep praying that prayer. Let's keep remembering that people need Jesus. And that now, through Jesus, people, no matter what kind of background they have, can come to him. They don't need to be Jewish. Anyone can come to him and be saved. But it's only through coming to him that they are saved, in faith. So that's what we need to be praying for. Because Jesus' mission now includes all people, Jews and Gentiles. Let's share the good news of his salvation with those around us. We'll share the invitation of God's banquet so that our friends and our family can as well come to Jesus and be saved, be fully satisfied and become children sitting at God's table. How about I pray that he'd do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he came to remove the dividing wall of hostility that separated Jews and Gentiles, that now all people can come to you and be saved through faith in your son. We pray that you'd continue to be at work in Wollongong by your spirit, calling people back to yourself. We pray that we would be keen to share the good news of your son with others. We pray that you'd call many people back to yourself and you'd make many more sons and daughters In your name, amen.